championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. Hello, Lakers Nation. Welcome into the LakersNation.com live off-season show. My name is Trevor Lane for LakersNation.com. Thank you guys for joining me tonight, for coming in live from YouTube, Facebook, Periscope. Welcome. I'm going to be taking your questions and comments. If you're listening to the podcast version of this over on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever, make sure you do follow us there as well. And also, let me put this out there. A little personal plea from everybody. Make sure you go subscribe to the LakersNation.com YouTube channel if you haven't done it already. I've set the personal goal for myself to hit 400,000 sub subscribers. Sometimes when I stop and I think about that, like 400,000 my goodness, and I'm thrilled that we're about to hit that number, but we're almost there. So if you haven't done it yet, go subscribe to the LakersNation.com YouTube channel and help me out with that. I'd certainly appreciate it. But a lot to dive into tonight, a lot of things to talk about. We are, I was just checking my calendar, a week and a half, a week and a half away from preseason play for the Lakers. October 3rd, we're going to finally see the purple and gold back out there on the floor. I am counting down over on my Instagram page right now at, at Trevor Lane NBA. If you guys have checked that out, we're doing a little countdown there and getting ready for the preseason to get going. Of course, training camp is going to start up. Media day is the 28th. That's officially when training camp begins. But, but news came out today that the Lakers said, no, that's not early enough. No, 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 no. Instead, we're going to do a little mini camp before training camp. LeBron came up with this idea of, hey, we're going to go to Vegas and we're going to do a mini camp. This is according to Shams Charania of The Athletic. And of course, this makes a ton of sense. If you think back to the 2020 season when the Lakers won the championship, it was, I guess, technically it was 2019 when they did this, they went and had a mini camp. The Lakers did. They had a mini camp. And of course, coaches can't be there, can't be involved because it's not officially started training camp yet. But a players only mini camp in Las Vegas. Lakers are trying to build that chemistry. And that's that is what this is all about. Look, getting out on the floor, getting in shape, all that, like that's important. Maybe starting to learn the rhythm of some of the other guys out there on the floor, learn their tendencies, stuff like that. All of that matters. But the big picture, the big thing you're going to get from all this is that camaraderie, that chemistry as a team, that growth, that bonding experience. And I think this is a great idea that the Lakers decided to go back to Vegas, get back out there, get on the floor, players only, and just start to figure out how this team is going to look. Because again, when you step back and look, you see some familiar faces, right? Rajon Rondo, Dwight Howard, Ken Bazemore, Trevor Ariza, Wayne Ellington, these guys who have been Lakers before. But the reality is there's only three guys, three guys on the team that were here last season. That's it. Three Lakers made the transition from last season's team. And of course, that's LeBron James, Anthony Davis, and Taylor Horton Tucker. That's it. Everybody else is new from last season. So you're going to need that time out there together to build that chemistry, build those relationships. And that's what's going to help you get through a long season. 82-game season, we're back to that. These guys are going to have to lean on each other. In fact, Wayne Ellington was just talking about this, about how these guys are going in knowing they're not going to play every single game. That's just not, that's not reality in an 82-game season with the overall age of this team. These are veteran players. These are guys that are going to need to rest. They're going to need load management, as much as some people might not like that. That's what they're going to need in order to get through the season. Because remember, and we said this last season too, they need to get to the playoffs healthy. They need to be at 100% when they get to the playoffs. That's the most important thing, because the success or failure of this team is not going to be decided 
in January, in February, if guys are resting a few games here and there. The success or failure of this team is going to be decided in June if they bring home an 18th NBA championship or not, because that is the reality for this club, for these players, with these guys at this point in their career. For some of these guys, like Carmelo Anthony, this is the one thing they have not accomplished yet is winning an NBA championship. So the success or failure of the season is going to come down to what they do in June. And so that's why I think we are going to see these guys have to really lean on each other during the season, right? We talk about the depth of the Lakers roster. They're going to need it. They're going to need to be able to turn to guys in the middle of January, the middle of February, the dog days of the season and get big performances out of everybody. So they're coming in knowing, look, night to night, not everybody's going to play, but over the course of the season, everybody is going to be needed to be, and let me use the phrase the Lakers love to use, a star in their role. Let me get into some of your questions and comments here. Um, okay, so I've got a question here coming in from Luis Ayala from Facebook. So Trevor, would you trade Westbrook for Simmons? Okay, so the Ben Simmons, by the way, if you guys are not subscribed already to the NBA front office show, make sure you do that. I actually put a link in the description. The NBA front office show is where Keith Smith and myself, we break down the entire NBA. So not just right here in Lakers Nation, we look at everything through purple and gold lenses. And of course, I love doing that. But over on the NBA front office show, we break down the entire league and a lot of, a lot of it from a salary cap perspective. But boy, oh boy, today... Oh, we got to talk about Ben Simmons and that whole situation, everything that's going on with him. What a mess that whole thing is. He's not going to report to camp with the 76ers. In fact, he is vowing to not put on a 76ers jersey again. He will not play a game for them ever again. Has four years still under contract. So how this is all going to play out, it's going to be really interesting to watch and it's going to set a precedent for the NBA. So this is going to matter. Even if you don't care about Ben Simmons, this is going to matter for the NBA moving forward. But the question is, would you trade Westbrook for Ben Simmons? Uh, look, I would say yes, simply because of the age factor and the upside that uh, that you get with Ben Simmons. I think he's a better player that people give him credit for. Yes, we remember the failures here in the playoffs. That's what we've most recently seen. But I talked about this just the other day. In fact, I think it was yesterday about LeBron and recency bias and how that's created this negative perception of where he's at and how so many people out there, especially fans of other teams, just assume that LeBron we saw in the playoffs, that's just who he is now. We saw LeBron for 10 games post-injury, a total of 10 games. That's the sample size that people are looking at saying, oh yeah, LeBron, he's starting to decline. Age is catching up to him. We're completely dismissing that he was the MVP up until the point when Solomon Hill rolled up on his ankle. Right? And we're just looking at that 10-game sample size. Recency bias can do that to us. Um, I don't see Lakers fans doing that, but I think there's some wishful thinking there from fans of other teams. I don't want to do the same thing with Ben Simmons. Right, I think he's a better player, but our most recent memory of his is not a positive one. So he's a good player. If you told me you forget contracts, you can pick one of those guys to have on your roster for the next 10 years, Ben Simmons obviously being younger matters. Now, I think you could make an argument for Russell Westbrook if you said just this season, that's it right now. Who are you going with? I think then you can kind of start to lean Westbrook. You can make a pretty solid argument either way, really, right? You're going to get a very different skill set out of the two guys. Same weakness, right, in terms of shooting. Ben Simmons' weakness shooting, I think, is worse than Westbrook's. And by the way, if you've been following on social media, Russell Westbrook, he's been working on those threes. And I don't want to get too excited here because, let's face it, Ben Simmons shoots threes in workouts, and he makes them. He shoots threes in scrimmages and things like that in little pickup games. 
and he makes them. Dwight Howard shoots threes, and he makes them. NBA players can make threes in general when they're not being guarded in a game situation. But I'll say Westbrook looks like he's really putting in some work. Maybe that's because he understands on this Lakers team, he's going to get a lot of wide open looks from behind the arc because that's what teams are going to willingly give up. But Westbrook has looked better shooting from three, at least what we've seen so far. We'll see if that carries over into the season. I think if we're considering everything, you take Simmons over Westbrook. If we're talking just this season, becomes a lot more close. And I think you could make a real strong argument for Westbrook. All right. Some people, a lot of people saying Westbrook is better than, than Simmons. People say, Trevor, you're crazy. I, again, I'm factoring in age. Okay. So I'm looking at from here on out, right? If we're just talking about one season, that's where you can really start to debate these two moving forward. All right, so Andy Bacalso from Facebook said, Trevor, are the Lakers still looking to add James Ennis or not anymore? I'm with you guys. I can almost feel it. Like as soon as we keep hearing all these rumors, oh, the Lakers, you know, Darren Collison, he's going to be he's going to be hoping for a training camp invite from the Lakers. Uh, Kenneth Fareed, now today, Monte Ellis. Like I loved Monte Ellis when he was in his prime, but he's turning 36, like in the matter of a, a, a matter of days. James Ennis is still out there. And I feel like Lakers fans just in unison, every time a new player gets connected to the Lakers, everybody just yells, what about James Ennis? I know when I look at this Lakers roster, I think the same thing. I think they, they clearly need another wing. James Ennis, he's not the best wing defender ever. He's not an all-star. He'd be on a team if he was. Okay, I'm not even saying he's going to get consistent minutes. I'm just saying, skill set wise, he seems like he checks all the boxes of what you'd be looking for for the Lakers right now. 6'6, 6'11 wingspan, shot over 40% from three last season, decent passer, can actually play make a little bit. Again, not the greatest player ever or anything, but just he checks enough boxes to where maybe you could see leaning on him a little bit. The Lakers, maybe they don't feel the same way. For whatever reason, they usually have their reasons why they feel one way or another about a player. So maybe there's something else going on, but he does seem like the obvious answer to fill that final roster spot for the Lakers. So I don't know at this point what the holdup is. Maybe something else is uh, is coming. We do know, though, there's another player coming that 100% for sure has to happen. There's another player coming. It might be one of their young players that right now is on an Exhibit 10 contract or on a two-way contract could get bumped up to the full-time roster, but someone else has to be added to the Lakers full-time roster. Has to. They have 13 players on guaranteed contracts right now. They need 14. Per NBA rules, before the start of the season, they need 14. So they've got time. October 19th is when the Lakers season kicks off. So they've got time, but I would think if I'm the Lakers, I'd want that player involved heading into training camp. So that's coming up in less than a week now. So... I would have to imagine that whoever they get, it's going to be coming soon. Uh, Matt Beningo from uh, YouTube said, if it's down to Darren Collison or James Ennis, who would you pick? Darren Collison. No, I'm kidding. James Ennis. James Ennis, 100%. Darren Collison, we haven't seen play in years now. James Ennis played in the NBA. His skill set fits with the Lakers need. I don't think the Lakers particularly need another point guard when you already have Russ, you already have Rondo, you've got Kendrick Nunn, you've got LeBron, THT can handle the ball as well. 
I think you're fine there. You're going with James Ennis to fit that skill set. Oh, somebody asked, when will Dang's contract be over? Oh, when will Dang's contract be over? Well, I've got good news. One more year. This is it. This is the final year. And Keith and I on the NBA front office show today, we actually talked about this. The NBA is going to be getting a new TV deal in the next few years here. There's a chance the salary cap could shoot way up again in 2024, 2025. So a few years down the road, salary cap could shoot up again, which is what caused Dang to be overpaid and Mozgov to be overpaid. Was a lot of GMs around the league just went, oh, salary cap went way up. The new, the new normal has changed. And so this is a fine deal for Lou Aldang. Of course, we know that was not the case. I think it was, what, four years, 72 million or something for Lou Aldang. Uh, he did not wind up panning out. The Lakers waived him, stretched his contract. They have one more year of that dead money sitting on the books. After this year, it's gone. No longer on the Lakers' books. Uh, Trevor, are you going to any games this year from Steven on YouTube? Yeah, I tend to go... Uh, I tend to go to a few games every year. I usually, I try to be here for you guys uh, for the post-game show that we do after every game. So I try to be in studio. There have been some times where I've been able to go to a game, like for example, the Golden State Warriors. I was able to go to one of their games up there and uh, and their Wi-Fi in the arena is amazing. It's ridiculously fast, faster than anything I've seen, uh, especially once the building emptied out. So I was able to do a live show from there. So sometimes we can do our live shows on location, but for the most part, I don't go to as many of the games because I try to be around to do the post-game shows. But yeah, I'm sure I'll go to at least a few games this year. And uh, yeah. Okay, good question here. Zafarin from YouTube. Anything we should keep an eye out for in the preseason? Surely it's more than just games that don't count. Yes. So let's talk about that. Oh, Mike Wolf said, have you ever been courtside to a Lakers game? Uh, okay. So we'll talk about that too. But what should we be looking for in preseason? It's like you're reading from my show notes here because that is on my list of things to make sure that we talk about tonight. Things to look for in preseason. So first of all, wins and losses don't matter. They don't. They just, they don't. Look, it's nice to win. Don't get me wrong. Even when the Lakers win in preseason, I'm like, all right, yeah, win. It's great to see a win. But end of the day, preseason, it does not matter. So first of all, you try to go into it with that mentality. It does not matter. You focus more on the process than the result. So that's what I'm looking for in preseason. I'm not looking so much, did the shot go in? I'm looking for, how did they create the shot? Okay, that's the mentality that I try to have, especially when I'm watching a preseason game. And that really applies during the regular season as well, because that can kind of change the lens that you're looking at and change your understanding of the game. But it's especially true during preseason. Whether or not the shot went in doesn't matter quite as much as how they got to that shot. Okay. Um, I am really looking forward to seeing some development from individual players. Like I can't wait. I've told you guys a bunch of times. I can't wait to see Taylor Horton Tucker to see what he's added to his game. We've heard that he's been working on his three point shot a lot, his outside shot in general. Can't wait. He already looks like he's slimmed down. I am thrilled to see what else THD's added to his game. Remember the Lakers have paid him to be a main contributor. Got a new contract this offseason. He's making what would it be? I guess the fourth most money on the team. So he's going to be expected to be a contributor for this squad. 
So I'm curious to see what he looks like. I can't wait to get a peek at Malik Monk. I like a lot of what he can do on the offensive end of the floor. I'm worried about the defense, so I want to see what he's done on that end of the floor as well, what improvements he's made. So those two guys, I can't wait to see. Uh, the young guys, of course, Chandi Brown, Austin Reeves, Cam Oliver, I'm really curious about. I want to get a look at some of those guys, even though I know they're not actually going to be playing much for the Lakers during the regular season. Um, and I also want to try to get a sense of just the on-court chemistry. And that's where going and having the mini camp in Las Vegas, I think is actually going to help. It's going to put them ahead of the game. And I want to see what that looks like on the floor. Don't expect everything to be perfect because it's not going to be. It's just not, right? You can't, you can't go to training camp for a few days and then roll a ball out there and play a game and have everything look great and everything clicks. That's just not the way it works. So, I'm anticipating mistakes, I'm anticipating lots of turnovers, I'm anticipating moments of confusion, the wrong switch being made on defense and things like that. Like that's going to happen, okay, in a preseason game. But I do want to see what kind of chemistry these guys have, what the body language looks like, how excited are these guys to play together. I want to see how Anthony Davis and Russell Westbrook play. And by the way, I'm already of the mindset that that first game, October 3rd against the Nets, maybe you don't play the Stars. Or if you do, you just play them a few minutes. I want to see the younger guys get out there. And then as preseason goes on, then you let the guys, LeBron, AD, Russ, you let those guys ramp up a little bit. But those are the things that I'm looking for mostly. Uh, have I been uh, courtside to a Lakers game? So I've been in on press row, which depending on the arena that you're in, is sometimes right down on the court. It's not like I've sat courtside, like I've bought courtside tickets myself, but I've been on press row plenty of times. And again, depending on the arena you're in, it might put you in a different part uh, of the arena. But uh, but I've been on press row quite a bit. I've gone on, gone down and walked around on the floor and, and done all that kind of stuff. That's just part of the, the gig. I'll admit it. it's very, very cool, but, um, but part of the gig. So yeah, I've gone down there on the floor and done all that, but I've never actually sat like front row. There was an arena, I'm trying to remember which one it was, but where press row was really close to the floor. And so I was pretty much right there. But again, can't say I've sat like front row where like the movie stars sit or whatever. All right, let's see what else you guys have. Jonathan Allen says, lots of opportunities for nights off with this depth. Yeah, that's part of the equation here, you know? We have to remember that not everybody is going to click the way we think they're going to. And I've talked about this before, but not every Lakers player, as much as we say, oh, last season they shot 40% from three. So this season they're going to do the same thing. It's not true, right? Those things change season by season. So we look at this right now in an off season with optimism. Everybody does it around the NBA. And we say, everybody's going to fit perfectly. It's all going to work out great. That doesn't always happen. It just doesn't. In fact, most of the time it does not happen. So there's a few guys that are probably not going to live up to the potential that we see in them right now. And that's fine. But the point still stands, right? The Lakers have plenty of depth. So there's going to be nights where LeBron might need to take a night off. And I know he hates to do it. He wants to be the guy to play every single night. But I think the Lakers are going to have to rely on load management. And that's what the presence of Russell Westbrook gives you. Because in seasons past... With LeBron on the Lakers, if he sat out, the offense falls apart. That's just what's happened. Look at it even in-game. How many times did we see, especially his first season in LA, where LeBron would go out and the Lakers couldn't score? And it was like just hanging on for dear life 
hoping that you could stop the opponent from scoring enough to where you don't give up a big run because the Lakers weren't scoring themselves. LeBron was needed to generate just about everything. Russell Westbrook in town, that's no longer the case. Uh, Brian J. when is media day? It's the 28th, so coming up. Uh, but they do have plenty of depth, and I think that is going to allow them to rest some guys. Somebody from YouTube said, offense won't fall apart with Westbrook at the helm. Agreed. That's exactly, that is maybe not the biggest benefit, but one of the biggest benefits of adding Russell Westbrook is now you've got somebody else to, hey, LeBron goes out, you give Russ the ball and go, hey, go ahead, do your thing. And he can competently run the offense, whether that means getting shots for himself, getting shots for other people, you can rely on him to do those things. Uh, Alex Amerling from YouTube says the dreaded Lakers shooting curse. Yeah, I don't know why. I don't know why this is a thing, but for whatever reason, when players put on the purple and gold, their shooting percentage tends to drop by about 5% from behind the arc anyway. We saw it happen with Reggie Bullock. We've seen it happen with a number of other players. Wes Matthews was one of them last season who struggled. I don't know. I don't know what the deal with that is. I, I'm hoping that this is the season they added a ton of shooting right? From Carmelo Anthony and Wayne Ellington, Kendrick Nunn can shoot it, Malik Monk can shoot it. I'm hoping this is the season that curse gets broken and we finally see the Lakers capitalizing from behind the arc once again. Christopher Wilson from YouTube said, nobody's talking about your defense, uh, about Lakers defense and Space Labs from YouTube asking a similar question. Thoughts on defense? Okay, so defense is one of my biggest concerns with this Lakers team. I think they're going to be able to score. I think they're going to be great in transition. On the fast break, I can't wait to see it. Russell Westbrook is so good at rebounding the basketball. He's one of the best rebounding guards in the NBA. And then turning and going, just pushing up the floor. It's going to be a lot of fun to watch. I can't. It's one of the things I'm most excited about is to watch Russ in transition attacking. That's going to be a blast. I think this team's going to be able to score. The question is, can they defend? You look at the defenders that they lost, just in terms of individual defensive talent, right? Kyle Kuzma, pretty versatile defender. Not the best defender, but he's he worked his way up to where he was at least average defensively, right? And he was able to defend multiple positions. That's helpful. Kentavious Caldwell-Pope, one of the best lock and trail guys in the NBA, right? He fights around screens. He stays right on his man, does a great job. He's also very, very active. High activity rate from KCP. Alex Caruso, one of the best perimeter defenders, defenders in the NBA period. You lose all those guys. And instead, you bring in aging players. Trevor Ariza, Carmelo Anthony. Can they defend the high-scoring wings at this point? I don't know. Carmelo Anthony defense defense was a problem for Carmelo Anthony in his prime. It's definitely a problem for him now. He's not good there. Uh, Russell Westbrook is not known for his defense. Now, I think he can lock in come playoff time, but regular season, Russell Westbrook is not known for defense. They've added a lot of guys that can shoot. Wayne Ellington, not known for defense. You look at the entire course of his career. He's never been a great defender. That's not really what you think of him as. That's not what you use him as. But I think it's fair to be concerned about the Lakers' defense. Now, the counter to that is that when the Lakers lost LeBron, they lost Anthony Davis. They're, they're cornerstones on defense. They're not only, not only are they good defenders individually, but everybody else feeds off of them, right? Both in terms of energy and in terms of knowing where to be on the floor. They used them as sort of their reference points to make sure they're all in the right spots and doing the right things. Those two guys go out 
and the Lakers still maintain one of the top defenses in the NBA. That gives me hope that Frank Vogel is just such a good defensive coach that he's going to take this group and you're at least going to get something average out of them. You're at least going to get something that's not terrible. If they can finish top 10 defensively with this team, it would be a monumental task for Frank Vogel. But if they can do that, I think they're in really good shape. I'm not expecting to see a defensive juggernaut like we saw last season or even the season before. And yes, Dwight Howard's a good defender, but I'm not expecting to see this incredible defensive machine that we've seen in the past. I think their offense is going to be better. Defense probably does take a bit of a step back. But again, we're going to find out. We're going to find out just how good of a defensive coach Frank Vogel is. This is going to be a major test for him. And personally, I think he's up for it. I think he's up for the challenge. We've seen this team play well defensively, even missing really good individual defenders. If as a team, they're on the same page, they're really synced up defensively, I think they can still be effective. Uh, Josh uh, Pelia from YouTube said, Trevor, which team is the Lakers' biggest defensive threat slash opponent this coming season? I mean, the easy answer is the Brooklyn Nets because of their three-point shooting. Uh, the fact that all three of their stars can shoot, those are that's, that's definitely a concern. Uh, but the other teams that they're going to be keeping an eye on, okay, just in terms of teams that can really get you rotating, the Utah Jazz can do that. If you are off by a half a step on a rotation. The Jazz, their offense is very good at sniffing that out and then making you pay for it. And that's what the best teams in the NBA do. Now, come playoff time, the Jazz tend to falter because teams can then lock in on what the Jazz do. Uh, you're not seeing them on a random Wednesday night in the middle of the season or something like that. You can really focus in on their schemes. And then that's where teams kind of get their number. The regular season, I think the Jazz are another team that could exploit the Lakers if they have a little bit of a learning curve, if it takes some time for them to get their legs under them. That's a team to be on the lookout for. Uh, other than that, though, there's not a team that I'm like super afraid of or anything for the Lakers or think that matchup-wise the Lakers can't handle. I do worry about high-scoring wings because, again, of the lack of wing depth. But there's a lot of teams in the NBA that are looking for wing depth right now. Everybody pretty much is. So... I'm not going to overreact too much if you see a game where Giannis Antetokounmpo goes nuts or, or Jimmy Butler or somebody like that, even if it's Paul George. One of these guys really gets going. I do think the Lakers could use more wing depth in order to deal with them or at least more effectively deal with them. But I'm just curious to see what Frank Vogel can do with this group because I think there's enough versatility here to really address just about any offensive playing style. And we'll see if that, if that holds true when the season starts up. But I think they do have enough versatility to where if they are locked in, they can defend any opposing style, right? With the one weakness being potentially high-scoring wings. Alex Amerling from YouTube with a super chat. Thank you. Said, any idea why we keep looking at point guards? LOL. I'm not sure. I don't know exactly why they keep looking at point guards. So somebody said the West, the Phoenix Suns. I think Anthony Davis was the antidote to the Phoenix Suns. I think that's what we saw in the playoffs. The Phoenix Suns, them getting past the Lakers after AD got hurt. I think that's no coincidence. It's not saying I'm going to write them off at all, but I'm not, I don't think the Suns are quite as good as the Lakers made them look because Anthony Davis was the guy to really exploit what they brought. But again, all the credit, you know, the Suns beat the team that was in front of them. Okay. And they did that all the way throughout the playoffs, all the way to the NBA finals.
So give them credit. They did a great job. But I do think the Lakers are the better team when they're healthy. Uh, but why do the Lakers keep looking at point guards? You know, it's it's a head-scratcher. Again, looking at their roster, it feels like their lack of depth is a wing. Rondo seemed to check the box for another point guard to come in. And again, you already have Russ. You already have Kendrick Nunn. LeBron handles the ball a ton. Uh, you've got Taylor Horton Tucker, who can handle the ball a bit as well. I do wonder if THT is going to make more of a transition to the wing. And that's where, if we're looking at Taylor Horton Tucker as more of a three this season, he was more of a one-two last season. Well, two-one more than anything else last season if THT is making the transition to the wing to be a three that's where this Lakers roster would become a little bit more balanced right and that's where if they're not looking at him as a true ball handler if they're looking at him as more of a secondary ball handler which is probably a bit more comfortable for him maybe you could see where they could use another point guard but again between Russell Westbrook Kendrick Nunn Rondo LeBron James I feel like they've got enough in terms of ball handlers uh, you can argue Kendrick Nunn more of a score first point guard, so maybe they're not looking at him as a shot creator, and that's fair. But it still doesn't seem like the biggest need to go land another point guard. So I'm in agreement. It's a bit of a head-scratcher, but we'll see. We'll see exactly how the Lakers want to deploy this squad. Somebody said, when's the start of training camp? Same answer. It's uh, it's the 28th, so coming up. B. Jonesy from YouTube, the Super Chat. Thank you. So why do you think the Lakers haven't signed Ennis yet? He seems like an obvious fit. You think it's something on his end or the Lakers' end? I don't know. And you know what? The Lakers are this team. We've made this point. Ron Gutterman and I have made this point. Matt Peralta has made this point as well. The Lakers are this team where when something seems obvious, they don't do that thing. <laughs> and for better or for worse. But like, think about the draft. How many times have we gone over, I mean, 15 to 20 different draft picks that would all make sense where the Lakers are picking and they don't pick any of them. They pick Larry Nance Jr. Or they pick Kyle Kuzma or somebody else that just wasn't really on the radar. And then a lot of the times it winds up working out. Um, they make moves sometimes that we just don't see coming. Uh, if Ennis, and based on his actions on social media, it seems like Ennis wants to be a Laker. He's going around liking all of the posts that link him to the Lakers. But who knows? Maybe he wants guaranteed minutes. And I, I'm speculating here. Maybe he wants guaranteed minutes. And the Lakers are saying, look, we've got this deep roster. We can't guarantee you minutes. Maybe that's a sticking point. There are other things that can stop this from happening, that can stop any kind of signing from happening. There are things behind the scenes, right, that can prevent somebody from being signed. So while from the outside, yes, it's obvious. There has to be some kind of reason, though. I just don't know what the, exactly that is. I imagine at some point we'll probably find out. And who knows? It could be that the Lakers are just waiting to the last minute because you know teams still have to cut players. There's a few teams around the NBA that still have to make cuts that are going to have to trim their roster down because they've got too many players. Look at the Grizzlies. They've got to cut like four people now. Um, there's teams that are going to have to cut good players. Could be the Lakers are just saying, you know what? We're going to wait. We're going to see who pops free. And then we'll go from there. That's possible too. Uh, Avi B from YouTube said, good three and D guys are rare. Why'd we trade Danny Green? All right. So Danny Green didn't have a great shooting season from the Lakers. He was, you also had the sense that you were going to get diminishing returns. And look, I know hindsight being 2020, we can look back and we can say the trade of Danny Green in the 20th pick in the draft for Dennis Schroeder, who only stayed for a season with the Lakers ended up being kind of a mess. Uh, how it all finished was very, very messy, right? The Lakers offered that four-year $84 million. He turned them down. Now he's with the Celtics and didn't get anywhere near that. He got a one-year deal for the mini mid-level exception. Yeah, 
life comes at you fast when you're Dennis Schroeder. Uh, but still, and by the way, he's still getting paid like almost $6 million to play basketball. So I'm sure Dennis Schroeder is just fine. But uh, when you look at, at this team and you look at what they were trying to do, it's the kind of move that you make every single time, right? It didn't work out, but you took a guy who was, I believe, 33, had struggled shooting the ball. You could imagine he was probably going to start a decline at some point. And you traded him for the runner-up for sixth man of the year, who's 27, same age bracket right there as Anthony Davis, one of your stars, and his skill set, if it worked, if the three-point shooting, which we saw the season before at about 40%, if that was real, what we found out it wasn't, he dropped down in the low 30s with the Lakers, but if that was real, you're getting a guy who's got the ability to attack off the dribble. You're getting a guy who can take the ball out of LeBron's hands a little bit, who can take that playmaking burden off of LeBron a little bit if everything clicks. Now, we know it didn't. Looking back, we know it didn't. But at the time, losing a player who you imagine is probably going to be on the downswing of his career and a late first-round pick, it's worth that gamble. That's the kind of gamble that you take. Because if it works, you're getting not just the player, not just what he can do, you're potentially getting a long-term piece with a 27-year-old. You could have him for the next six, seven, eight years, however long, if everything works out perfectly. And again, hindsight being 2020, it didn't work. But that's the kind of gamble that you take. So that's why they made that trade. I was for it at the time. I'm still for it. I think that's the type of move. Like, you don't regret making that move. Just like, if you're the Lakers, you can look back and say, you know what, Steve Nash and Dwight Howard, that did not work. That did not work at all. But those are the kinds of moves that you make. Right? If you're going to gamble on something, you gamble on something that's going to win you a championship. The Lakers were the favorites to win the whole thing that season when they brought in Steve Nash and Dwight Howard. And we know it blew up spectacularly. But those are the kinds of risks that you take. And that's what the Lakers did in getting Dennis Schroeder. Even though it didn't work, I think the process to get to that decision was just fine. Uh, Trevlin Queen from uh, from YouTube. This question's coming in with the super chat. Thank you. So Trevlin Queen not being signed to a training camp deal is ridiculous. That could be coming. That could be, all right. The Lakers still have training camp spots open. So that could still be coming. So don't assume that's not going to happen. It still could, okay? Training camp is, is coming up. It could be they're just waiting for whatever reason to sign this, this camp deal, okay? But if it doesn't, I would agree. I think he earned it. I think he played well enough in summer league that you should at least bring him into camp. If nothing else, you want to keep him in your system and see what's what in the G League. But I think he was very interesting in Summer League. He felt like a guy who just got better and better and better as Summer League progressed, enough to where you want to see more. You want to see more of him and find out how far does that progression go. So I'm in agreement. I think he should absolutely be brought into training camp. I'm not saying he'd be a lock to make the team. If anything, it would probably be a long shot because remember, there's one spot, one spot. Uh, but I definitely bring him into camp and find out what he can do. Somebody get, said, give Wes Matthews one more chance. You know, Wes Matthews, I feel like if Wes Matthews um, was going to be brought back, it would have already happened, right? If Wes Matthews was going to be brought, up, brought back, this would have already been done. I mean, he was with the team. I don't know. It just, it it's the type of situation where you would think he would already be with them. 
if that was their choice, was to go with, with Wes Matthews. It could be wrong. Who knows? Maybe tomorrow it gets announced that they've signed Wes Matthews. But it really feels like they're looking just about everywhere else but at Wes Matthews. He just His shooting percentage just never came around. In fact, he even had to get benched for part of the season. Um, he had some good performances. Don't get me wrong, but I don't know. Something just didn't quite click. Somebody said Wes didn't play out, but it was a great idea and concept. Yeah, that was, that was the other thing, right? Wes was um, essentially brought in to replace Danny Green. And the thought was, hey, look, we're trading away Danny Green. We're getting in a completely different skill set. But Wes Matthews can come in literally at one-fifth of the price of Danny Green and replace that skill set in terms of being a wing defender and a shooter. Now, we, again, we know it didn't work, but I think the process was okay. Somebody asked, what is your favorite Lakers item that you own? So I've got a lot of Lakers items that I really, really like and really treasure. Uh, if you guys can see the rest of the studio here, there's a lot of different things that are up uh, on my walls. A lot of Kobe stuff and things like that. A lot of jerseys and stuff of that nature. Uh, the stuff I got from Kobe's memorial is certainly up there in terms of things that I'm going to treasure. Um the the shirt the pin all that kind of stuff I, I don't have it sitting right in front of me here otherwise i would show it to you but my favorite thing that i've got that's lakers related is actually what you see on the wall right behind me here and that is my lakers hoop that's on the wall so that hoop um i actually got when i was i, I would guess i was in about third grade at the time and that hoop was up in my room from that point on all the way through childhood it was one that i shot at. in fact it's been welded back together because it's been broken several times the rim's been snapped um so that hoop stayed up, up in my room all the way through childhood it was always uh something that i that i just had a lot of fun with and um it was just kind of an early link to the lakers for me but the earliest memory i have is of the lakers when i was a real little kid a little mini play school hoop that i had sitting in our living room and trying to mimic Kareem's skyhook uh, with my dad watching Lakers games. So that's the earliest memory I've got. But this one I got when I was in elementary school, and it's just something I've had ever since. Even when I got into teaching and I was doing that for a while, I would bring it into my classrooms and we'd do review games with it and all that. So just something that I've had forever. And uh, and so that's my the favorite Lakers thing that I've got right now. Uh, Isaiah Lepper said, what is Fizdale's role this season? And this is from YouTube, the super chat. Thank you. So Fizdale's role, and this is what I think is going to be really interesting. It's the offensive end. That's, you know, Frank Vogel's defense, right? He's laser focused on defense. Fizdale is offense. Fizdale is offense. He's the guy who helped create the Miami Heat offense when LeBron was there. So I think they're going to rely on him as an offensive coordinator of sorts. And so that's what I'm, also going to be watching in the preseason and it's going to be hard to differentiate right because you've got so many new faces that the lakers are just naturally they're going to look different than last season in terms of what they run and everything but i'm really curious to see how much of that is new faces different skill sets compared to seasons before and how much of it is fizzdale i want to see what kind of innovation fizzdale can bring to the offense because frankly even when the lakers won the championship there were times where their offense would look a little flat when things would just not really click. It was just kind of clunky. It was like, hey, you know, LeBron's great and uh, an AD is great and bail us out, guys. And that would happen fairly often. I'd like to see less of that. I'd like to see more off-ball movement. And I'm curious to see if Fizdale can get that out of this team. 
Somebody asked with the super chat, is Corver available? Uh, Kyle Corver is, I believe he's retired. I'd have to go look and see. Uh, somebody asked, Tina Geeman said, do you yell Kobe when you make a basket? Of course, we all do. Everybody does. Even The Undertaker does. If you've seen that video, you know what I'm talking about. We all yell Kobe. Uh, do I have anything signed by Kobe? Uh, <laughs> I've got stuff. I'm trying to think if I have anything that's officially signed. I've got like reproductions of stuff signed by Kobe, but I don't have anything I think that's officially signed by him. <clears throat> um, somebody made a comment about me being a teacher. You used to be a teacher. Now that you say it, I can definitely picture you as a teacher. Yeah, I used to teach uh, U.S. history. That was what I did was uh, I taught U.S. history for junior high kids, uh, eighth grade. That was that was my subject. That was what I taught. I spent 13 years teaching U.S. history while for a lot of it doing Lakers stuff on the side. So I kind of had two jobs at the same time. And now I get to just focus on Lakers and uh, and do this. And I'm very grateful to be able to do that. Uh, Brandon from Facebook is saying, Trevor, tell them about your uh, week one fantasy football outcome. Yes, you beat me in week one of our fantasy football league for uh, for our Lakers Nation League. Fortunately, I'm one-on-one. -on -one. I got the win in week two. Had some guys who stepped up for me in week two. So that was, uh, that was a good one. But this has been a fun league. And in fact, in fact, and I, I haven't told this to the whole league yet, but the league winner is going to be getting a replica NBA championship trophy. So that's that's coming. In fact, very similar to the one that I've got right here on my desk. Uh, somebody commented they taught science and history. Awesome. It's it's a great job teaching. It's a lot of fun. And uh, I really enjoyed those years doing that. Uh, Andre Sison from YouTube said, Hello, Trevor. Do you... Oh, Sir Trevor. It's like I'm British or something there. But uh, do you have the cap space next season to sign Zach Levine in the event he does not re-sign with the Bulls if, uh, if Russell Westbrook opts out and signs a longer contract with a pay cut? Okay, so Russell Westbrook, let's say he goes the Chris Paul route, right? He opts out of his deal and is intending to sign a longer contract. We think he's probably going to pick up his contract. I believe it pays him about like $48 million. I don't have the cap sheet in front of me, but for next season. Probably opts into that. But let's say he opts out. Could the Lakers then sign Zach Levine? In theory, if you let everybody else go, because everybody else is on one-year deals, everybody that's not LeBron and AD go, in theory, sure, you could sign Zach Levine, but you also have to have some money left over to sign Westbrook. It gets really tricky really quickly there. So I don't, I wouldn't assume that's going to happen, right? You would have to clear everything off your books. Luol Deng would be off the books finally. And then you could try to make something like that go down. But again, it's not, I wouldn't be like anticipating as, oh, look, the Lakers are loading up to have cap space next off season. No, the next off season is already being looked at as a very weak free agent class. So I wouldn't assume that the Lakers are going to be banking on having cap space to go sign a big time player. Michael Jordan from YouTube. I'm sorry, Mikhail Jordan. They flipped the E and the A there. 
<laughs> from YouTube said, how many wins do you think the Lakers will get? I had them at 55. That's been my prediction for the last few weeks now. It's 55 wins for the Lakers. I know Vegas has them well under that. I think I saw 52 and a half, maybe 51 and a half recently, which might be more realistic the more I think about how many games guys are actually going to rest. But I'm going to stick with 55. Uh, what do you think of the new patch logo on the Lakers jersey? Uh, I'm okay with it. I'm okay with with the uh, the new patch on the the jersey. I think what I like is that it's the same color scheme as the jersey. What I don't like to see is when the patch does not match the jersey. It just doesn't blend as well. It looks it just looks bad, right? It looks bad. If you're going to put a logo on the jersey, and we're already kind of making that concession, because I'd rather have no logo. I'd rather have nothing there. But I understand it's a business. You got to make money, so. If that's the case, I want something that's going to blend in with the jersey and not stand out, not take away from the overall appeal of the jersey. And I think they've done that. I think they've done that with this logo, so I'm okay with it. I will say about the jerseys in general, I might sound like old man yelling at the cloud here, but can we go back to gold? Can we just go back to gold? Like when you compare the color of the Lakers jerseys, like the Kobe jerseys, right? from say 10 years ago. Compare them to the jerseys they have right now and it's very clear how yellow they are. They're very, very yellow now. I'd love to see them go back to that gold. I don't hate the black stripe on the purple jerseys, but let's get rid of that too. I don't think it's necessary. I don't think that needs to be there. And finally, finally, can Nike, please, can we go back to home jerseys, away jerseys, Sunday whites, and your alternates, gold at home, purple on the road, you wear your whites on Sundays, and then you sprinkle in a few alternate jerseys throughout the season. It's just so simple. I don't like seeing the Lakers in gold playing the Golden State Warriors up in San Francisco. I, I don't want to see that. It just, it just looks weird. It doesn't look right. It doesn't look right. Let's just go back to a simpler time. And just make it known. You wear one jersey at home, one jersey on the road, sprinkle in a few alternates. I like the alternate jerseys. They're fun. That's fine. But let's go back to home and away jerseys, please. Somebody said the black jersey is the best ever. Again, yeah, the, the Kobe jersey that I've got back here, the black mama jersey, that is my favorite. That's my favorite of the Lakers. I think it's the best alternate jersey, not just for the Lakers, for the league. I think that is the best alternate jersey, period. Whatever you, whether you want to call it the you know, the lore edition or whatever it is, the city edition, that's the best one. That's the best one by far. That one is fantastic. I would love to see that one brought back. Oh, here's an interesting one. <laughs> somebody somebody did a, a old man quote for me. Back in my day, Shani, <laughs> they're adding that here on, on YouTube. Um, Sunday White's my favorite. Somebody said, who do you think on the bench can be the sixth man of the year? Javantes Gallo. So could anyone win sixth man a year off the bench for the Lakers? So I think because they've got three stars, Russ, LeBron, AD, that's going to make it more difficult for somebody to come in as a sixth man and get the minutes that would allow them to become sixth man and have the impact, have the ball enough to win sixth man of the year. Like you look at the guys who tend to win sixth man of the year, right? It's 
Jordan Clarkson, who comes in and just gets the basketball and gets to go do whatever he wants with it, right? Lou Williams got to do that for a while. Montrez Harrell, Dennis Schroeder, these guys who come in off the bench and they instantly get like a 30 plus percent usage rate. I don't know that we're going to see anyone in the Lakers do that. But if I were to pick somebody who could win six man of the year, I think it's Kendrick Nunn because he's going to fit that mold in terms of he can get out there and light teams up quickly. So if he has a great season and he continues to average 15 points a game like he did last season for the Miami Heat. Okay, maybe he's in the mix. Uh, Eric, Trevor, favorite Lakers championship that you were a part of back in the day. My favorite is the Lakers beating the Celtics in 2010. That's my favorite. That's the one... That was the one where, like the early 2000s ones, I was old enough to where I got it. I understood what a big deal it was. So the three-peat and everything, I, those were a big deal, right? Big deal. The championships in the 80s, I was too young to really understand what a big deal that was. But I remember getting to see them and how cool that was and, and everything. But the 2010 championship to beat the Boston Celtics, that one really stood out for me for a number of different reasons. It felt like a breakthrough, obviously, to beat the Celtics. What made it that much more magnified. That was incredibly important. Um, Kobe getting that championship, that mattered so, so much. And just, I'll say this, this, there was, for me personally, there was a, this amazing moment where throughout that whole game, and if you remember that game, it was an ugly game. The game seven that I'm talking about in 2010 one of the ugliest games you'll ever see, right? But I've rewatched it probably hundreds of times at this point because it's just such a great memory. But I mean, I just talked about living and dying with every single shot, right? That entire game, I was a nervous wreck, right? Every play felt like that was deciding the championship. I don't know if I've ever been that tense before during a basketball game and yelling at every single play and getting excited and, and getting down. Remember, the Lakers got down early in that game and then battled back. And then when it was all over, right? And so we're yelling and saying all of these things, right? Some colorful things too, that are all being said during the course of this game. And when it finally ends and the buzzer sounds and Kobe is celebrating, is on top of the scoreboard. Never forget, I'm sitting on the couch. My dad was, I went over to my parents' house and watched it. And my dad's sitting on the couch and we had both been yelling all game. And in that moment, we had nothing to say. There was there were no words. All we could do was just sit there and take it in. And I'll never forget, my dad reaches across the couch, silent, and just holds up his hand and we just do a high five. And that was, that was just that perfect summation of that moment because we had been so tense throughout the entire game. Um, so that will always hold a special place in my heart. Uh, second, of course, was the 2020 championship in the bubble. I know people, detractors will say, oh, it's a Mickey Mouse championship and all that kind of stuff. Winning that one for Kobe, I think that adds that extra bit to it. And given what the team had to go through, what the country was going through, dealing with COVID and all that kind of stuff, that one's up there as well. But the 2010 championship for me stands above the rest. Kobe wasn't good in the last game, but he was nuts all series. Yeah, and, and if you look at what he did too, rebounding-wise, he the shot wasn't falling, so he became a factor on the board. So he became a factor in other areas. And that was what I loved. So he found ways to still impact the game. All right, guys, we're going to do a couple more. And then 
And then we'll call it a night. Jonathan Allen from YouTube says, Lamar Odom is still available. First thought after I read about Monte Ellis. I know. I know. Um, the Monte Ellis thing, it doesn't make a lot of sense. I know he's got connections to Frank Vogel from the year they shared in Indiana. But still, when I, when I look at some of these, I wonder if this is the Lakers doing guys favors and kind of getting their names out there by linking them to the, you, you know, when a player gets linked to the Lakers, a little bit of a spotlight gets put on them. They get more attention than if that wasn't there. Um, that's part of why you see the Lakers pop up in so many rumors all the time. So I wonder if that's what's going on here. Monte Ellis to me doesn't make a ton of sense, but it also depends. Like we haven't seen him in years. How much game does he have left? Maybe it's a lot. I don't know. I don't know. All right, let's do one more. Oh, somebody said, when do you think the Lakers will decide on the, who gets the 13th roster spot? I'm thinking within the next week, hopefully before training camp. That's uh, that's the hope anyway. All right, we'll really do one more here. People are still debating whether or not I would say, said I would trade Westbrook for Ben Simmons. I said I would trade Westbrook for Ben Simmons if you get to keep him for the entirety of his career, right? Because the, the age is a factor there, right? I said for this season, I think you can make a really strong argument for either guy. I think Ben Simmons is getting hated on more than he should. Russell Westbrook also gets hated on more than he should for different reasons. Uh, people conflate Westbrook's contract with him as a player with... Him having a, quote, bad contract, assuming that makes him a bad player, which is not the case. And then people look at Ben Simmons and we get caught up in recency bias uh, and we neglect the things that he does really well. So I'm saying over the course, of, if you had them for the rest of their careers, yeah, probably going Ben Simmons because he's got more years available, right? But if you're talking about just one year, then I think you could really start to have a debate about Westbrook versus Simmons, who would be better at probably lean Westbrook for this particular team. How many players can the Lakers have for training camp? Uh, Mark Mark from YouTube said uh, 20. 20 is how many you can have for training camp. Then you cut down to 15 after that, not including the two two-way players. Somebody said, why would they sign Isaiah Thomas? Or why would they sign Monte Ellis and not just bring back Isaiah Thomas? Point taken. All right. I think we'll probably call it... Oh, somebody said, bring back Sasha, Sasha Vujicic. Hey, he hit clutch, hits clutch free throws, so you gotta love that. Gotta love that. But... I think we'll call it a night right there. Appreciate you guys coming in. I know, I know. We are almost there. Almost, or a week and a half away from the start of the NBA season. Don't forget, right now we're going Tuesdays and Fridays for our live show. Okay, I'm trying to go uh, 11 o'clock Eastern time, 8 o'clock Pacific time for our live shows. Tuesdays and Fridays, once the season starts, once preseason starts, this converts back to being a post-game show. So that means as soon as the game ends, Log on. We'll be right here breaking down everything with you. And it's a lot of fun. I can't wait. October 3rd, preseason starts. 
Let's go. We're a week and a half away. I can't wait to get there. But so that means we've got a regular show coming up Friday, another one Tuesday, and then the following Friday. And then we have games. I can't wait. And we do have training camp starting up in now about a week. So I appreciate all of you guys for coming in here and joining me, whether you came in from YouTube, Facebook, uh, Twitter, wherever. Appreciate you guys spending time with me tonight talking a little Lakers basketball. Don't forget, subscribe right here to the Lakers Nation YouTube channel. I am trying to get to 400,000 subscribers. Help me make that happen and hit that subscribe button. Till next time, everybody. See ya and stay safe.